everybody to the extended cut. Special guest today, Jeremy Simmons. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Awesome. People don't have a clue who you are, except the people who were here in person, sweating it out live Mm -hmm. at our Lexington campus. They got to meet you for the first time. That's right. Yeah. So um, those of you that are listening and we're worshiping somewhere else or online, Jeremy is our newest pastoral resident, going to be with us at least a year. Um, We're hoping we don't corrupt him, mess him up, any of that good stuff. Right, yeah. And um, so, Jeremy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, originally, I'm from Lugoff, which is over in Northeast. Uh, If you're with the Radius family, you know that Brian Kirkland is very proud of being from Lugoff, and I'm always slightly proud. Uh, But my wife is from here. (laughs) Slightly, that's good. Yeah. My wife is uh, from here in Lexington. We met in college down at Charleston Southern University. Uh, got married shortly after, went up to North Carolina for seminary. And then in conjunction with my uh, program in seminary, we actually went overseas. We've been serving, or we have been serving as missionaries in Southeast Asia for the last two years. And uh, back in, goodness, uh, back in May, we return to the States. Here we are. Uh, we feel very confident the Lord has us in America for a season, but our eyes and our hearts are always uh, global. We we want to keep it that way, uh, just so that we never hold uh, being in America with closed hands. But really excited to be here at Radius. Uh, pastoral ministry is something I've been hoping to pursue since I became a believer back when I was 15. Uh, and this is really great to be at Radius Church. It's been a wonderful group of people to be with, and we're just excited to be here. Yeah. Cool. Expecting your first child. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Expecting our first child. I keep leaving that out of all the personal introductions. Uh, it's all right. I keep kicking myself, so I appreciate you bringing that back up. Yeah. yeah. Still new. Uh, so, yeah, we're expecting our first child uh, daughter coming in September. We're just so excited. We've uh, it's been prayerfully looking forward to this for years now. So to actually be on the cusp of it, um, it was really exciting, and it's scary at the same time, but we're just excited for her to get here and just figure out what her personality is and love on her. It's going to be good. Yeah. So we are, here at Radius, we recognize there's constantly work to be done, and there's, I think there's some great things that Radius has to offer from a church perspective and from a ministry perspective. Um, and so our leadership said, hey, let's let's develop a residency that we can bring guys in and we can learn from them, they can learn from us. And um, so we're just going to try to put you in front of Absolutely. every ministry, pastoral kind yeah. of situation. And so Sunday mm-hmm. was the one that most people think of when you think, hey, you're going to be a pastor. You immediately think that 30-minute sermon on Sunday morning, right. even though there's way more to it than that. Yeah. Um, so Sunday, you got a, a, a chance to help me, 8, 10 minutes at Lexington, mm-hmm. helping me preach through Psalm 19. Um Probably we weren't expecting to do it outside on a big honking, you yeah, know, right, event right. stage, and it was hot. But for you, that's kind of normal. Southeast mm-hmm. Asia, worshiping outside, yeah? Yeah, so a little bit about our context. Uh, the country we lived in, uh, I guess we would call it a developing, like third world kind of country, but we lived in a large city. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, physical structures. Our city had some uh, height to it, and typically I think you associate height with progress. Mm-hmm. Um, so it had some like big high-rise things, but uh, AC is not a thing in most places, especially churches where we come from. So 
Actually, the church that we went to, there's another missionary family in town. Their kids called it hot church. So <laughs> you would show up on a Sunday morning and it's eight and it's already 80 degrees outside and they call it hot church and it lived up to its name. So I think, I think we're going to call the 930 service here at Lexington hot church. Hot church. It's exactly. Great. Yeah. It's great. It's great branding. It makes sense. Uh, it's descriptive. So yeah. So I'm very used to uh, heat just in general, just, yeah, feeling the heat. Um we would open up all the windows of the church building, which would actually create a breeze. And it was, it was actually really nice. Mm. So really enjoyed that. Um, more open air preaching style. Yeah, it's something I'm, I'm kind of used to. Uh, we had a, more opportunities uh, than I was anticipating going to uh, the field to be able to speak and preach in public uh, settings. Um, we were just quickly uh, early in our time connected with some folks that had some pull and just got me into some positions that I'm really grateful for. Hmm. Um, so I had some opportunities to speak and preach. Uh, honestly, probably too many opportunities. And I'm sure I, uh, there's some things I would change about how I said stuff or what I said, but it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, being on the stage here at Lexington, it was really nice. Um, yeah, it was just it was really fun, honestly, just to be with God's people again, uh, be able to be in that capacity. But mm. yeah, you're right. I mean, Sunday isn't the only thing. Um, I actually had somebody, uh, I was talking with them a couple of weeks ago. It was a Tuesday. I was going into work and he was confused. He's like, wait, do y'all have services on a Tuesday? I'm like, no, you know, a, a pastor, you know, they, they go in every day of the week and they just do other <laughs> stuff. You know, it's not just on Sundays you work. And it, was, right. it was really funny. But yeah. Uh, yeah, this past Sunday, it was really good. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah, man, it was great having you up there. Psalm 19. So mm -hmm. uh, I got to preach the online service this week, which was a blast. But those folks didn't hear your part of it. Yeah. So you and I were doing our study separately. And then last week we got together. And as we did it, we noticed Psalm 19, like I think several Psalms, are a polemic, a defense yeah. of Yahweh. Right. Um, almost even a taking jabs at the, the foreign gods of the nations. Right. So a couple weeks ago, we, we said the same thing about Baal. Um, here, which I didn't talk about at all on Sunday, mm -hmm. um, I, think, I think sometimes we can get into where we make everything a polemic and I don't know if we are absolutely for sure if it is or not. Um, it's just really difficult to, I, I, well, multiple reasons from a communicator standpoint, I don't think everybody, you want to hear that every week you yeah. show up. Um, cause then the application is kind of the same, right? but I, I do think it is really helpful for us to know the context of the ancient near East and mm -hmm. what these people were hearing. Mm -hmm. And so when we get to this part in Psalm 19, where he talks about the sun, mm -hmm especially verse four, he says he pitched a tent for the sun. That word Shemesh, which shows up multiple places, um, is actually the name, not only of the sun, but could be a proper name of the mm -hmm. God Shemesh that people in that place and areas around Mesopotamia would have worshiped yeah. the sun God. Absolutely, right. And so you read that, I read that in our study of the background. And for you, something very unique yeah, to your right. last two years came out. And I want people to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. So where we lived, um, 
we we went to this particular country in Southeast Asia expecting really to interact with a lot of people of the Muslim faith. Uh, here in America, you know, we, we call them Muslims, but Muslim people, it's how they'll they'll introduce themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, we found that. We found tons of mosques. We found uh, religious teachers. They would uh, gather weekly to read from the Quran together and kind of discuss that. Um, yeah, we found a lot of that, but something that was really interesting for us that we weren't expecting is we found what's called animism. Um, now, we in America especially aren't really familiar with that term, but you see it all across Scripture, uh, just what you're talking to Russell with the polemic stuff. Animism is whenever you see something in the created world and you say, wow, that tree is incredible. I'm going to worship that tree. That tree is a god. Hmm. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament and even parts of the New Testament, uh, we see people doing this. And that was something that we encountered in a very large way where we were. I just was not prepared for it at all. So let's talk just a bit about animism. So um, you use the illustration of a tree. Hmm. It could be that. Um, Oftentimes we see it with things that are hard to explain. So the sun... Right. Uh, here in a minute, you're going to talk about the ocean, which yeah. happens a lot in the ancient Near East. Um, stars, lightning, moon, lightning. Like yeah, the unexplainable events or where people are not. Yes. So when you think about the ocean, um, it's uninhabitable, mm-hmm. it's, it's chaotic, wild. it's wild. And so therefore, because we can't know it or conquer it, then therefore it must be the domain of gods or a -hmm. god itself yeah Uh, the same thing would be true for the sun the moon the stars like they they would have never been able to process getting there Mm -hmm. and so as a result that's a that's above us that's in a different realm yes and so we would we would divinize it we would make it a god exactly right so um sometimes it just helps in that when we think about these terms explaining that just a tad. So go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of piggyback on that as well, I think um, I'm really grateful for some of the educational processes that we have in America, but something also I think with the Enlightenment and with those kind of um, turns in thinking, we started to take the the mystique of nature away and we started just explaining it away with natural processes. And mm. we, we took those things that our hearts or our minds, I'm saying, I'm not saying this is like the way to go, but like the way we see the world in America is new on a, on a global scale. Mm. It's new in that like we don't find spirits or we don't find mm. ways to divinize parts of nature. So like we read the Bible and we, or in my case, interact with other older cultures, and we're like, "Whoa! Like this? What? What's going on? Like, like we're the ones that we need to like do a little more work to get to get to that kind of mindset." So I just like piggyback on that. Mm. You know, we've um, we've taken this idea of science and just kind of pressed it all the way into stuff, and that's uh, that's made us and our our thinking uh, be able to like conquer almost the mm. unexplainable, the unconquerable. Uh, mm. it's just really interesting. And that was the mindset that I had going to where we were. Uh, but the, the example, a uh, specific example is this thing called the queen of the South sea. Uh, so the, the idea was there's a particular island in this country and off the South coast of this island, um, there was this goddess, this queen, the spirit thing. Um, you know, there was, 
there's good things that you did that would appease her, and you did those through the witch doctor, and everybody know, knows who their witch doctor is. They have an imam, and they've got a witch doctor, and they go to either for different situations. So just, I, I find yeah. this fascinating. Yeah, so right. um, I saw this in Haiti where... Yeah. Um, you would have people, so Catholicism was yeah. heavy there. So yeah. you might get people who, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Catholic. Yeah. And then in the same way, have a priest and then, but have a witch doctor as well. Exactly. That they would give their money to to cast out spells or to do voodoo or same, whatever. Same situation. It is. Uh, so we, we look at that and again, kind of your mindset in America, we say, how foolish. Yes. But I, Maybe we're just as foolish in a very different way. Exactly, yeah, in a very different way. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's just how it was. And uh, people where we were, they recognized there were certain things that uh, an imam could provide them. Uh, you an know, imam being the uh, a leader in the Muslim culture. Exactly, yep. yeah. That's someone who runs a mosque, essentially. Yep. They'd be an uh, expert or a scribe, essentially, in the Quran. There were things you went to that guy for, and then there were other much more tangible things you would go to the witch doctor for. Um, and there were you know times when I met a couple of these witch doctor guys, and um, you know you could recognize their house in the village. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a certain smell about it. There are different decorations they'd have. Everybody knows who this guy is. Um, you pay him always some money. cooking something in a big black cauldron, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Oh man, yeah, and they had green skin and pointy hats. Yeah. Uh, okay. No. Uh, <laughs> But no, actually, I mean, on that note, I mean, there always was the scent of olive oil around their house because mm. that was uh, meant to ward off bad spirits. And wow. you would have witch doctors. Yeah, they would focus on the bad spirits. Witch doctors focused on the good spirits. Um, you'd give them money if you want to send a curse on somebody. You would give them money if you feel like you're being cursed. Um, you know, I've many times sharing, sharing the gospel with people and they would say how they went to the doctor and... They, they went because they had a bunch of coins in their stomach that they had never consumed. The doctor couldn't explain it. They go to a witch doctor the next week, and then the coins are gone. They, they'd they have an x-ray one week, coins are there. X-ray the next week, coins are gone. They you know didn't experience these coins and other natural processes. And I'm like, whoa, either you're lying or I'm interacting with something I've never thought about before. And, um, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll let... Uh, the listeners uh, slice that one however they want to, but um, fascinating. It was crazy. Yeah, so you would go to either for either situation, and um, yeah, the you would go to the Islamic leader for matters of how to be right with the Holy God, and you would go for go to the witch doctor for matters of how to really get enjoyment out of this life here um, and to ward off against lesser spirits. So. Um Man, so much we could talk about here. So much, yeah. So, from, an, from an American cultural standpoint. Right. So um, It shook my boxes. It shook yeah. my boxes big time. Yeah. Was, yeah. I remember in seminary, I had a professor who was a, a missionary in Brazil, mm-hmm. and the, the things that they talked about, just that overt mm-hmm. um, going to a witch doctor or someone that practices practice this kind of voodoo medicine, if you will, because it is so tangible, right? Yes, it I, is. I, I don't feel good, so I'm going to pay you money to, to get me better or whatever right. it was. Right. Um, and, and you're fixing to talk about how these guys would do the same things with this Queen of the South Sea. Exactly, yeah. But in America, it, it's almost like we do the same where we stop in at church 
mm-hmm. on a Sunday. We listen to a message, sing a song, put something in the in the black box or in Come the. Come on, yeah. And that gets us right with the Holy God. Right. And then the rest of the week we interact with, we wouldn't call them spirits. We wouldn't call them witch doctors, but we interact with all the tangible stuff to make us feel good, help help us have, you know, health, wealth, and prosperity. Right. But so as long as I've got my, you know, my pastor taking care of my eternal, then I got all of these other, in quote, doctors taking care of my... Exactly. Uh, very physical. Yeah, that's right. We, you know, we don't call them the Queen of the South Sea. We, you know, yeah. if I can step on some toes, we call them Netflix and Amazon and children, children, sports. Exactly. Money. Yeah, affluence, nice homes. You know, we we all do this thing. I mean, it, it reminds me of what um, wow. C.S. Lewis was saying, and he was really just picking up on Augustine, saying that God has created us as worshippers. We will worship something, yeah, and we'll either worship the Creator God in the ways that He has called us to do, and they're good for us, or we'll take that worship reflex and we'll direct it towards other things. Hmm. Um, that that's just true of us. That's just yeah. that's just how God has wired us. That's you know part of the image of God in us, and that that allows us to be able to live in relationship with Him. That allows us to love and obey and serve and worship and glorify Him and. You know, that, that even grounds our, our hope for the future to come where all things are made right and our worship that God deserves, he will receive. Hmm. Um, but until that time comes, we we deal with our things, you know, what whatever they are for you. You know, where we were, it was very literally worshiping spirits in nature. Hmm. Um, yeah, it was just wild. Uh, but you're absolutely right. You know, we... The, the queen of the South Sea or worshiping a tree or sending a curse on somebody uh, at the least may sound familiar, uh, not familiar, foreign to people. Mm-hmm. At the most may sound preposterous. Mm. But in all actuality, I mean, you're, you're right on it. Like we go to our religious teachers to fix the intangible and we turn to what is seen to fix the tangible. Mm. And it's really unfortunate that it kind of goes back to what I was mentioning earlier with the enlightenment. Um, uh, my wife and I, we were reading this book while, while we were over there about uh, changing worldviews. Um, this really good book. Um, and the author was showing how in the Enlightenment, uh, well, before the Enlightenment, uh, people typically saw the world as uh, creator and then creation. And mm-hmm. those two things were connected. And that meant that everything that we saw and we can't see all comes from the Father above, and it, it all relates to Him in some way, which means the way I go to my job, the way I treat my family, the things I think about, uh, to the things I do in a worship service, they all matter to God. Hmm. And then we enter this enlightenment where it shifts uh, away from creator creation. It goes to secular and sacred. Mm-hmm. And we're still wrestling with that in America, right? Like, we try to appease this uh, quote-unquote sacred impulse by going to church and giving a little bit of our paycheck and thinking that all we need to do is, you know, <laughs> uh, just just make God happy through our moralism or our obedience or our performance. And then, because he doesn't relate to anything else, we could do whatever we want to Monday through Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's actually interesting. Going to Southeast Asia, I was actually taught uh, in a in a different way, how all of life really is connected, hmm. you know, because the people that would lean most heavily into this witch doctor thing, they understood 
what I did toward the spirit and what I did toward the person were related. Hmm. Um, it's people that try to keep religion or faith in this box. Uh, those are the ones that, that are done the, the uh, disservice, really, of not recognizing that the way I treat my neighbor, the way I love my wife, the way I spend my money has bearing on my relationship with the creator. Hmm. It was just so interesting. Yeah. Just so fascinating. There's so many ways we could talk about this. And Yeah, I think the uh, that, that parsing out of the sacred and the secular, um, I, I really, I think that is, um, I mean, we could spend a lot of time talking about that. Right. Um, and because of that, that separation that we have done, it allows us to compartmentalize God in certain places yeah, that's instead well said. of let him um, infuse every area of our life. So, right. all right, back to the Queen of the South Sea. Yeah, right? yeah, so right. we keep getting sidetracked in this this um, this God that they would yeah. see. And so how did they, what was their response to this queen? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, just just to kind of recap, you know, every, I'd say, uh, was like 87% of the people in this country we were at would classify themselves as Muslim. That's on their ID card. But that same 87%, the vast majority of them, also really believed in these spirits. They, they were practicing animists. Um, and like the biggest expression of that, yeah, was this queen of the South Sea, the spirit um, goddess, if you will, who lives, lives in the ocean off the south coast of one of these islands. Uh, there's good things you do toward her to make her happy. We we're saying to the witch doctor, there are bad things you don't do that would make her unhappy. Um, it's, it's really interesting, just a visceral example. Uh, the, the worst thing you could do is if you're at a beach off this coast, if you're in the water fishing, whatever, if you're somewhere near the water, you should not wear the color green, which is so interesting. Um, if you wore the color green, uh, that would actually like uh, attract her to you. And the, the idea is once you hit the water, she would grab you by the feet, take you down into the depths and just consume and just destroy you and people would tell me that so and did you wear green on the beach just to show them like this is like i'm, I'm thought gonna, about it yeah yeah decided not to do it thought yeah i thought about it decided not to do it uh i think that uh there, there was already a lot of stigma attached to the uh just being a foreigner where mm. we were so i, I, I figured <laughs> out i wouldn't thumb my nose at it too much uh yeah but it was an interesting talking point yeah. And honestly, it was it was another interesting po- talking point too because where we were, um, colors are a very big deal. Everything is represented by a color. Mm. Your community has a color. Your group, uh, this idea has a color. And where we were, um, the color for Islam was green. Mm. So I don't even necessarily think that people there put it together, but it was almost this clash. Who has authority? Mm. Is it this national religion or is it this spirit? Because they couldn't mix. Sure. And you would show that you were a Muslim by embracing green. They, they would see bumper stickers, go green. And in America, we think eco-friendly, yeah, recycling. healthy, recycling. Yeah. No way. Over there, it's stick to Islam, adhere to the tenets, become mm. more regimented. Wow. This is so interesting. So you would see this clash almost. But Well, go green. Just don't go green near the water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Just don't go green near the water, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and people really did believe in this. They they really did deify the ocean to that degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would say, yeah, I mean, I go to the mosque, I pray, but I will not wear a green to the beach mm-hmm. uh, because I'm, I'm afraid of the spirit. Mm-hmm. 
And it's just a very real thing. I mean, that goes back to what I was saying. You know, it's like our hearts are made for worship and we'll find things to worship. Yeah. Even within a religious order, even within um, a very regimented and a very uh, visceral faith like uh, the Islamic faith, people yeah. will still find other things to worship, definitely. Um, so that, that became a big talking point for people uh, sharing the gospel with them. Um, what's on their mind isn't so much uh, this guilt that we feel before God because we've made a bad moral choice breaking his law. What's on their mind is how am I free from the power of this world over me? Mm. Um, and something that we don't always get in America is that we we need both. It's not just that we've broken God's moral law and we need his forgiveness and we feel guilt because of that. Mm. But it's also, um, you know, Paul is saying, I believe in Ephesians, there are elemental spirits. There are things in this world um, there's no way you can read your Old Testament and mm. and say that there are not some forms of spiritual beings outside of who we call Yahweh mm. that do really actually have a role in this earth. Mm. Um, and we need we need security from that. We need protection from that. And that was that was on the mind of people I shared the gospel with. Wow. Um, you know, we could. We could debunk why uh, their faith didn't make sense. We could, you know, poke intellectual holes in that. The the real thing they're they're wondering at night was, am I safe from those around me? Am I safe from uh, forces I can't control? Am I safe from things like the Queen of the South Sea? Hmm. And that that became the launching board for our gospel conversations with people. You know, yeah. obviously you can. Where we were, it was fine. You could ask people, hey, like, what faith do you practice? Like, in America, you can't do that at all, right? Yeah. But there, you could absolutely say, hey, man, I'm just moved here, you know, just learn about the culture. What what religion are you? And you could do that, and it'd be fine. And the typical response, yeah, I'm Muslim. I've been following for this long or whatever. And then, you know, you, you leave that, and you'd be like, but wait, like, I heard about this other thing, this queen of the South Sea. Are there other things like that? Are you afraid of that? How do you get protection from that? Mm. Are there promises in your holy book against those things? Do you think that you'll ever be consumed by that? Mm. Those were the fun conversations because that's when people would really open up and they would become a little more lively and a little more honest, to be honest. yeah. And probably even um, feeling the the tension between, you know, the Islam faith and this animism. So when we read Psalm 19 and kind of going back to the text, right? And we said verses one through six, or if it is a polemic against Shemesh, this mm-hmm. sun god, then David is making it clear mm-hmm. that God is the one who pinched the tent for the sun. He's right. the one who says it's like the groom coming out of the chamber, the, the athlete running its course. It's it's the one that God has put it in play. And the reason God put it in play is because it's declaring the glory of God and it's proclaiming the work of his hands. Exactly. And so um, this vast ocean that is chaotic, the South Sea that is so... Um, you know, strange and unknown Mm -hmm. and uninhabitable, but it's not there because the queen of the South Sea has dominion. It's there because God has put 
the South Sea in its place. Exactly, yeah. God God said before we began measuring time, let there be an ocean, and there was an ocean. And yeah. that, that South Sea, it serves the purposes of Yahweh. It serves the purposes of Christ the Creator. Mm. Um, even if people there feel like it serves the purposes of this goddess, uh, even if they feel this tension of, I can't control it, yet it supplies my food. I I can't subdue it, yet I need it. Hmm. You know, they, they have to live in that tension that we can just, honestly, we can say God has created it and he's created it uh, for his glory primarily yeah. and for our good. Yeah. Right. For me, I was uh, thinking through it. I didn't read Deuteronomy 4.19 or Ezekiel 8. Um, yeah. In Deuteronomy 4, God is going through and saying, hey, I, I know you haven't seen me. I, I know that I've not revealed myself in form to you. And so when you see the, 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 the creatures of the earth and the birds of the sky, or in verse 19, he goes, when you look to the heavens and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all the array of heaven, do not be led, led astray to bow down and worship them. Mm-hmm. The Lord your God has provided them for all people everywhere under heaven. And so... Um, it, God knew this is going to be the tendency. The tendency is to put a form on this deal. The tendency right. is to worship it. And then when you get to Ezekiel, um, you actually have this passage of them worshiping the sun. Yeah, right. And God is saying, look at them. They, they've turned their back on the temple, and they are worshiping the sun. And if we're not careful, I think all of us can begin to to do that, where we can find something physical and elevate it to a place that uh, right. that we can worship it. And so, to me, the first six verses of Psalm 19 are, are really intriguing on a lot of levels, especially if, if there's this, this um, polemic here to say, hey, the, the sun, the God of the sun, Shemesh, is, it, he's not the one, the one is yeah. Yahweh. He's Yahweh's Absolutely. the one that created it and put it in its, in its place. Um, there are a few other places. Romans ten actually quotes Psalm nineteen four um, in a very odd place. And so, those of you that are wanting to maybe take this a little deeper, you can read a little Romans ten right. um, and see how Psalm nineteen is quoted there. Um, anyway, there's there's several places where you, you kind of get some some interesting things, but Psalm 19 is typically best known for seven through nine, where right. it gives this amazing declaration of how powerful God's spoken word is, mm-hmm. and um, and that's where I hung out on Sunday on the tail end of my message is really to say, hey, God's word is reliable, it's true, mm-hmm. and. Um, and most people don't even really deal with Psalm 1 through 6 because it it does have this sharp break between verses 6 and 7. Um, but uh, yeah. anyway, fascinating stuff. Fun to, uh, fun, fun to walk through these Psalms and to see their mm-hmm. different um, characteristics and right. genres there. Yeah. So It's wild to see all the context behind the Psalms and to mm-hmm. see the things that David or the other psalmist was really leaning into. Yeah. Um, but also they're just so deep. Uh, mm. gosh, they're so good. And I was listening to a sermon this past week about the Psalms and, um, the guy's been preaching for like 40 years and he's just saying like, I've come to the conclusion that if anybody says they fully understand a Psalm, they don't understand it at all. <laughs> you know, cause it's just, you think about music in our modern day and it's like, who really understands an entire song you hear on the radio? There's so many nuances to it and you, you add in this, um, 
this element of God-inspired music that we have in the Psalms, these songs mm. of worship. And it's like, wow, like we can just sit in it and just revere God for it. It's great. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, thanks for joining me, man. It's fun to have you on the stage at Lexington. Man, Glad you're on so staff. Much. Nicest guy on staff. That's what they're saying about you. So you got you to gotta maintain that, dude. Well, I'll try, but I don't know who this they are, so... I don't know. It's just kind of an informal poll, but That's I'm right. just telling you, mainly they is Brian Kirkland, so oh, whatever. He's the actual <laughs> nicest guy and stuff. But no, we're just thankful to be here and thankful to continue to get to meet the people of Radius Church. Thank you, Russell. Yeah, man. All right, well, we will do it again next week. Thank you, guys. Thank you.